Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Financers. Thank you for rejoining us after our season pause there. Today, we have a very special guest joining us on the podcast, and Kevin Kenny is going to introduce him for us. Thanks, Matt. So I'd like to introduce an old friend of mine. He's known as Tim. I live in Massachusetts, but I cheer for the Dallas Cowboys, Tully. So someday when there's more time, and perhaps if this was a sports podcast, Tim would explain his unique sports oddities. But uh, seriously, I've known Tim and his wife, Trish, for over 35 years, and I'm uh, really grateful he could join us today on our podcast to uh, hear some insight and experience and trends in what's happening in finance and investing. So a little bit of Tim's background. Right now, he is the chief executive officer at Zellcor Technologies, which is a uh, digital asset platform focusing on the last mile of blockchain. It's offering a wallet and custody solution for over 250 top cryptos, native access to top exchanges and quick swaps, and an entire ecosystem of decentralized applications. And before Tim was doing that, he was the president of BNY Mellon Wealth Management, responsible for investment management, wealth planning, private banking. And then even before that, he was a classmate of mine at Boston College back in the day, and he studied finance and general management. So we're delighted you're with us today, Tim. And I'll send it back to Matt, and he can start off with a couple of uh, questions. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, Tim, thank you again for joining us. And as Kevin alluded to, Tim's kind of focus is on cryptocurrency. So we invited him on because he obviously knows a lot more about it than us. And a lot of our clients have been asking questions about crypto. So we kind of wanted to at least scratch the surface here and, and, you know, provoke some thought around crypto. So Tim, maybe you can introduce the idea of crypto, how it kind of all started, and then we can sort of go from there with some more questions and answers. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you, Matt, for having me. Kevin, thank you very much for the kind introduction. I always want to pursue excellence, whether it's at Boston College or the Dallas Cowboys from 25 years ago. So at some point in time, we'll be we'll be back there. You know, let, let's start with the issue of cryptocurrency and blockchain and, and separate the two, because I think they get conflated too often. And I also think that people too often think about cryptocurrency as just Bitcoin. So uh, blockchain itself is a technology. So think about it like a further iteration of the internet, right? And I, I think what's really cool about blockchain is that it is a technology that's driven by both software and more importantly, by computing power. And here in 2021, we've, we've advanced so much in both things that we can now have a technology that can support a one-to-one -one relationship on many things. And I think the easiest example that I could give to you is it's very possible that we see a world where all currency, all digital currency in particular, is, is issued and, and tracked down to the individual unit. So think about all of the U.S. dollars that are out there today um, that are produced and issued by the U.S. government. Um, they can't be tracked. There's they're, they're, they're so, they're so many of them and they're so superfluous, it's hard to get a handle on that. And now we actually have a technology that can that can track it down to the individual unit level. The financial services industry has been set up by all of these, let's call them pseudo ledgers for tracking uh, things like money and, and store of value and those kind of things. 
And that's because, frankly, the technology was never in place to do that. So if you think about it, your own account at Bank of America, there's a ledger, there's a private ledger in Bank of America that that tracks the comings and goings of your um, your account. And then you may have one at Fidelity or Schwab, right? And so um, there are all these different ledgers out there. With blockchain, there's one ledger. It's a public ledger, a distributed ledger that every, it's a very transparent ledger. And it's a very, you'll hear this word immutable. Once a transaction gets put on the ledger, it stays on the ledger. And its value can be added to and subtracted to, but it can never be changed. So that's blockchain. Cryptocurrency is, um, it, and by the way, uh, blockchain is, you know, Bitcoin with a big B is often referred to as the blockchain. Bitcoin with a small B, uh, you know, a lowercase and uppercase, Bitcoin with a small B is the currency itself, right? And, and I would say that the currency itself is what is used for different use cases. And the use case for Bitcoin is as a store of value. And as I think as most people probably know by now, it's often referred to as digital gold. And um, there are other cryptocurrencies that you'll hear a lot of. Ethereum is another very common one. And the reason Ethereum is getting a lot of traction is because it's used in a lot of the up and coming decentralized applications, de decentralized finance applications. And Ether is the, Ethereum Ether is the, the gas that drives that. Um, and that's how it works, right? There are many different versions of blockchain. Bitcoin is one, Ethereum is another. And there are many more versions of that being developed today. And the currency itself is one of the things that drives the blockchain. But the currency is, if you have a blockchain, the, the way a blockchain gets added to with that public environment is you need computing power and you need individuals, miners, um, that build the blockchain. And it's the currency that, that is underneath all that, right? Um, so probably a little bit more longer answer than you wanted, Matt, but, but very distinct. Uh, the two are very distinct and the use cases continue to grow for, um, for all of the uh, cryptocurrencies. And we can talk more about that as we get through uh, the podcast. Tim, off the, off the top of my head, I guess one of the questions I have for you is, and since you're talking about cryptocurrency in general, I guess, you know, what do you see as the future of, of cryptocurrency as a currency, right? So I guess my, my position or, or my concern, I guess, about, around crypto has always been, right now it seems like the volatility of it all is kind of what's holding it back, right? It's it's almost the thing that's causing. To me, it doesn't seem like a currency if it can gain or lose twenty or fifty percent in a day. What, what do you kind of see as the future of that? I mean, do you see the volatility kind of going away at some point, or, or what do you think? Yeah, and that's a great question. I, I think that's where I think the word currency is a misnomer. Um, I do believe that that there will be a digital currency. I don't think it'll be Bitcoin for buying and paying for things on a regular basis. It'll be, um, you'll hear this talked about a lot, either stable asset coins, which are pegged to a currency like the dollar, so they, they stay more stable, or central bank digital currencies, like the one that China has issued. Um, and I think uh, that will, and that will delineate it's, it from stores of value like Bitcoin or business cases like in in this case, Ethereum, right? And and 
I think there will always be volatility in the short term. These are inefficient markets. It's not like a large cap stock where there's so much information, there's so much transparency in what's underneath there that it's hard to get uh, price advantage and, 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 and arbitrage. And that's not the case with a lot of these other um, cryptocurrencies, which is why it's, I think there's going to be continue to be a lot of volatility. But I do believe that we'll see a shaking out of stable asset coins um, that will be used for what we all think of as currency, which is, you know, a medium of exchange for, you know, goods and services. Um, and then there'll be the, the what we would more commonly think of as stock-like behavior for stores of value. And Tim, so while while we're on that subject of how uh, coins like this differentiate from traditional currencies, one of the questions we're often asked is, are these coins finite? So the U.S. dollar, you know, the Treasury can print as much as they want and just continue to pump pump currency into the system. For coins like this, and maybe coins differ, but is it a finite amount? And then over time, as either people lose them or... Um, they're thrown out accidentally. Do does the kind of pool get smaller and smaller? Yeah. So good question. I think the reality is this is what drove the birth of Bitcoin itself, right? And that is countries around the world that would um, have a very aggressive monetary policy and continue to print money um, in an inflationary way. Um, and I think the other thing that drove the the growth of these these currencies was around, you know, in the United States, you, you, you technically a, a government or a local government can't go into your bank account and take your money away. In many countries in the, outside of the U.S., it's it's very common and hap, in fact, very frequently happens. Right. So this this autonomous um supply of money that in Bitcoin's case, it's finite. Um, they will only ever issue 21 million coins. Um, and the question of if coins get coins don't get lost because it's a transparent ledger, but access to the coins could get lost. Someone could die without sharing their security credentials or, you know, I guess they could you know, air quote, they could they could lose them. But they're always there. Just it's the access to them that that gets there. I, I think I, I'm not comfortable making a uniform statement that there will always be a finite supply of uh, each coin. In Bitcoin's case, it's very it's very specific and stated in there. And I the the whole premise behind the cryptocurrency is that the constituents will have a say in what the supply of the coin would be as opposed to a central government or or somebody that's driving monetary policy. So Tim, I have a question with, um, right now, like Bitcoin is the sort of the standard for cryptocurrency, but it, as you'd mentioned, China will be coming out with their version. The US Treasury is in development now. What's gonna happen if the major central banks decide to get in this market? Will a lot of these other players that you mentioned besides uh, Bitcoin and Ether, are they going to go out of business or what's going to happen if a, a major you know, central bank gets into the market? No, I don't think so, because most of these coins have very specific business use cases, right? So 
You know, JP Morgan issued a coin for their own institutional exchange of dollars. We've, you guys have probably heard the concept of NFTs, which are um, um, something that I think we're going to see a lot of, which is create the creator economy, trying to find a way to have a direct investment in their people with their passions, right? So I, I think there will always be specific use cases for different cryptocurrencies. Um, and there will always be room for something that's more universal and non-inflationary like Bitcoin. Um, but I, I think you will see the pace is really picked up with this central bank digital currencies. And uh, the United States is kind of, I don't know that you would call them a fast follower, but they are secretively working behind the scenes. China's been super aggressive. Obviously, they'd love to be the reserve currency of the world. So I, I hope the U.S. gets more active here. The euro, there's a there's a uh, pretty aggressive program around a digital euro. So I think you're going to see a lot more of this from the central banks in the near future. And I also think stay tuned for central banks investing some of their uh, assets in Bitcoin as well. I think that's all really great background info and in, in kind of sets the stage for, for where we're going with this. But I'd be curious now if we can maybe jump into more of like the nuts and bolts of how it all works and how if our clients or, or anybody else who listens to this podcast, how they could get involved with crypto. And I guess one of my first questions around that is, you know, if you want to go out and buy it, A, how do you do that? And then B, once you have it, where do you store it? Is it on your computer? Is it is it in some sort of virtual wallet? Could you speak a little bit more to that, Tim? Today, there's really two ways to, to purchase Bitcoin. One is to go through a, a Coinbase is probably the one that people are the most familiar with. It is most like what we would all think of as a common brokerage type operation like Fidelity, Schwab, E-Trade, et cetera, where you would establish a relationship as an individual customer. They would put you through the KYC process. And you would buy, hold, and exchange currency on their exchange. I think the challenge with that is that the way their operation works is a little antithetical to the whole blockchain premise, which is, and you'll hear this expression a lot, your crypto, your keys, right? So, you know, it's a one-to-one -one relationship between you and your, and your crypto. And that's not the case in Coinbase and a lot of these others. So that's one way to buy it. Um, but there's a little bit of trust involved there. Not, not unlike the trust that you have with a, 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 another common brokerage. The other way to buy it is to, is to buy it directly. And you can buy that through Coinbase. But there are plenty of other places where you can buy. You can buy it through Zellcor. You can buy it through a bunch of other companies with a credit card or other you know, you'll hear the term fiat on ramp. It's it's a way to take U.S. dollars and and buy them in exchange for other currencies. But um, the way that works, if you do that and you want to store them yourself, you would use a, a wallet. Uh, you know, ours is a non-custodial wallet, uh, which means it's your wallet. The assets that are in there are yours. You choose to do with them as you see fit. And so um, there's a mo there are, there are mobile apps for them. There are desktop apps for them. Etc. And you would you would buy those assets and you would store them in your address. And the, the best way that I can explain this to people is 
Yeah, your purchase gets stored on the blockchain. And it literally, think about it like blocks of transaction are put, track transactions put together and put on a block. But when you make that purchase, you make that purchase with two keys. One is a public key and one is a private key. A public key is frankly the address where the coins are stored. And the private key is uh, the information that you have. Depending on the wallet you use, this could be super complicated or it could be less complicated. But there, for, for most wallets, it's very complicated. It's a 24 to 25 digit randomly sequenced uh, alphanumeric character. And I would think about it like this. When you go to a, uh, a bank and you go to a safety deposit box, there's a public key, which the bank holds, and there's a private key, which you hold. If something ever happened to that private key, your key, no one could ever have access to those. Those two things have to be put in together in order to have access to those in the future. You know, I, this, this complexity uh, and the difference between the two um, is not quite as hard as I think we make it out to be. And I think what's going to change is there are so many services and applications that are being built uh, today in, in the digital. You'll hear this around the, the term DeFi, capabilities that allow you to be your own bank. And I'll, I'll just give you one example because I think this is will resonate a lot with, with the people that are listening to this podcast. Um, when you have, let's say that you have a, a really, uh, your basic portfolio is 20% cash, 50% in um, in equities, you know, maybe there's another 20 in um, 10, 10 to 20 in alternative investments, and then maybe you have some in fixed income or other spots. Um, when you make your investments in equity, a very traditional, somebody makes an investment on your behalf in mutual funds or stocks or whatever. The only appreciation that you get out of that are dividends and or the stock appreciation itself. In the crypto world, you get, you're able to get the stock appreciation for that, and you can also get interest on that at the same time if you pledge those securities. So um, those are the kind of things that right now, that's the kind of payment that financial institutions get. They, they pool all of the assets up from their clients. And they, they offer that liquidity up to the marketplace and they get paid in exchange for that. Sometimes it's from the third party markets. Sometimes it's from the government, et cetera. But now individuals, because now they have control of their assets, will be able to have get paid for that liquidity that financial institutions used to get paid uh, paid for before. Sorry if that's a little too little long winded answer there, Matt. No, that was great. Tim, so one of the hesitations a lot of people have is I, I hear about crypto, I want to get into it, but I'm going to wait till you know my institution has an exchange traded fund or some place where I could get it right on this platform. I guess a couple of questions is, do you think an exchange traded fund in Bitcoin or, or something similar is coming? And um, you know, is it worth someone getting involved now or waiting for something like that to happen? You know, good good question. I, I think the, the quick answer to that is today there are two Canadian um, ETF funds that are one's Bitcoin and one is Ethereum. There may be two versions of each of those, but they're in those two coins. Um, there are numerous applications to the SEC 
here in the United States for people to offer um, ETFs. And they're they're traditional people that you would think of, and there there are many more non-traditional people that are trying to offer uh, this these these ETFs. There is one other way here in the United States through Grayscale that's got kind of a pseudo um, ETF-like approach to do that. Um, the challenge there is that sometimes you're, you you could be buying that at a premium or a discount, uh, depending on what, pr- frankly, time of the season that you're in. So I think that here in the United States before the end of 2021, there will be ETFs for Bitcoin. I don't know that they'll be as universal, meaning across providers as there, as there is today for, for what we would all think of as most commonly used ETFs. Or, or mutual funds, but I, I think that'll be the case. There's plenty of, uh, there's there's too much institutional mojo in this space right now, uh, and there's too much interest from, frankly, a lot of wealthy investors for there not to be an ETF here uh, in this year. Yeah, I think I, I was reading on CNBC that even Fidelity is working on building their um, Bitcoin ETF right now. And to me, and maybe Tim, you can agree or disagree, but to me, for people that are kind of nervous about, you know, what we were talking about earlier about getting into the wallet and, and making sure they have all their addresses saved and everything like that, an ETF or a mutual fund or whatever they come out with may be a good option for some of these people to kind of get some exposure to it, but at the same time sort of feel more secure in it. In an exchange, they, you know, pay the small fee on the fund or whatever. Is that, do you do you agree with that notion or... I think that's fair. And I think that there will be other ways for you to get exposure. You could buy a, a public stock in Coinbase right now and, and you could get exposure to really cryptocurrency that way. Um, and there'll be, there, uh, there are more than a handful of, of cryptocurrency crypto companies that will be coming public this year. And you, that's another way to invest in it. I, I, so Matt, the way you laid out makes perfect sense, and you could do that. And somebody that's that's cautious about getting the space, that'd be a, a good start to enter. I think the challenge there is there's so much opportunity right now in a lot of the currencies that are not going to be uh, offered via via um, ETF. You know, I'll give you one example, and I'll leave the name out just for for a couple of reasons, but. There's a use case share of a a decentralized exchange, um, and this is a place where you'll be able to go and from your wallet just say, "Look, I want to I want to swap Bitcoin for Ethereum. I want to I want to swap 100 Bitcoin. How many Ethereum is that?" And you it, it would go out and do that for you. This this particular currency was trading in the end of February at around a dollar fifty. I just checked today before I got on. Um, this call, it's $45, right? So that kind of uh, exponential return, and, and by, by the way, I think that particular one's got a lot of lift there. There's a lot of really incredible investing opportunities in these in these cryptocurrencies that you could be missing out on. Bitcoin gets all the hype as it should, and it's been validated by the institutional players in the market. Um, and, and I think you'll see more of that. And, I, and again, I I think you'll see central banks investing in Bitcoin here in the near future. But there's a lot of really cool opportunities and tremendous return opportunities in some of these other currencies that you're going to have to buy directly. Okay, great. And we're running a bit short on time here. So I did have one last question, maybe a, a bit more lighthearted than the rest. But what are your thoughts on Dogecoin? 
um, you know, you got to have the you got to have the bad with the good, right? I, I think the reality is when you have inefficient markets and you have you have so many currencies that are and so many companies that are jumping in the market. I think you're always going to have those, right? And this is that's the risk of of that. I, I, that's not a coin I would invest in, and I'm sure most of you probably would invest mm-hmm. in that either. There's not there's not a lot of fundamentals behind it. There's no frankly no use use case for it. But maybe you put maybe you put a hundred dollars in there for fun. But uh, I'm not sure I'd be investing anything meaningful in in that. But we will w- there'll be those there. That's that's going to be the nature of this beast for a while until the market becomes more efficient and more transparent. Um, but we'll always have those. And, and I, I also think that the other thing that we're we're going to see a lot of is um, these are going to be influenced because of their volatility. They're going to be influenced heavily by social media and other platforms that, frankly, don't drive the the valuations and the volatility of what we what we think of as more traditional financial instruments. I, I want to leave everybody with a thought. You know, I I had the good fortune of spending the day the other day with a, a really high level CFO at a uh, in an energy company and really intelligent person who is uh, got a lot of trading skills and whatever and he said to me what what do you do tim and 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 i said well you know i'm i'm working with the team and we're we're building a cryptocurrency company and he said to me you know i just i just don't understand i just don't get that i don't i'm not comfortable with it you know and and i think the reality is what I've learned in my short period, as somebody who's been a financial institution for a long period of time, the speed in which this crypto space is coming is faster than anything I've ever seen. And I was at T. Rowe Price in the late 90s when the internet was just coming out. And I can remember meeting with our, I was the number two guy in technology, and I can remember meeting with our company management saying, you know, we've got to get faster on this. And the reality is we didn't. We eventually kind of went along. But the Googles and Amazons and all these Facebooks, et cetera, they all popped up on this internet rail system. And I strongly believe that this crypto infrastructure rail system will replace all of that, the blockchain technology underneath that. And I, even if you're not ready to invest, it's really time for people to spend more time getting to understand this better because there's tremendous amount of investment opportunities that are going to come out of this, not just for 2021, but for the next 20 years. This will have the kind of run that the internet has had over the last 20 years. Um, and it's, it, you know, you, it, you owe it to yourself to kind of get in front of understanding what's, what's underneath there so you can make smart bets in the future. Yeah, to me, it's not a matter of if at this point, it's a matter of when. And, and like you said, it seems to be accelerating rapidly. So we at least wanted to do this podcast for, for people that are nervous or don't really know much about crypto, at least to start to answer some of these questions. And for those of you who want to learn more, reach out to any of us and we can dive into it a little deeper. But until then, we want to thank Tim once again for joining us on our podcast today. And other than that, we'll talk to you on the next one. All right. My pleasure. Thanks. Financers is produced and edited by Sachetta and Callahan, LLC. All disclosures are posted to our website at sachetta.com forward slash fine answers. 
S-A-C-H-E-T-T-A dot com forward slash F-I-N-E-A-N-S-W-E-R-S. Thanks for listening.